on Power Talk AM 1460 and FM 101.1. Streaming worldwide on iHeartRadio. Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show. You're listening to The Jan Price Show. And today my guests are Tony Dean Smith and Ryan Smith. And we're going to be talking about their brand new movie, Volition. Welcome to the show, Tony and Ryan. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank Great you. Great to have you on here. You, you're welcome. You're welcome. All right, Volition is a really interesting movie, I, I have to say. Um, very interesting in the way that it was done. Um, I So our listeners know what we're talking about. Um, Ryan, since you wrote the script, well, both of you did, Tony and, and Ryan both wrote the script. Uh, Ryan, why don't you tell us a little bit about what this movie is about? Yeah, sure. I mean, so yeah, Tony and I uh, wrote the script together. Actually, it was based on a, a concept that uh, Tony came to me with that he'd already started writing. Um, but just to give you a quick um, uh, glimpse into it, it's uh, it's a sci-fi thriller, uh, kind of in that cerebral grounded zone. And um, it's about a, a guy named James Odin, who has grown up with this clairvoyant ability and so he can see snippets of his future but it's not like a superhero gift or anything like that it's actually uh, an affliction because his whole you know for most of his life everything that he sees always comes true so he started living this life of apathy and it's almost become like a, a mental disorder for him and so in fact you know what happened with him when he was a young child um he had this terrible nightmare of his mother in a horrific car accident and, you know, he didn't know what it was. He thought it was just a dream and no one really, you know, took him too seriously as he talked about it. But, you know, two months later, his mom actually, you know, dies in this car accident and in the same horrific way. And so he suddenly realized that, that he has these snippets of his future and everything comes true. And after that tragic moment, it cements in him this kind of apathetic, trapped sense of life where he doesn't know how to break through from the tragic future he sees. And so our, our story actually picks up um, years later after he's grown up sort of a product of uh, the failed foster care system. And he's starting to use his ability to to ends that are not really the most uh, moral. You know, he's he's using it for, for cheap, cheap tricks and, and he's working in the crime world because that's sort of where he's found his home. And uh, I'll let Tony just take it away from there in terms of where our story actually starts. Yeah, sure. So so again, we've set up that everything that James sees always comes true. And it's not like he's a psychic where he can see everybody's worldview. He can only see what's ahead of him. But again, it's fragmented. It's in snippets and uh, pieces that are out of order. So that's his world. And our story starts where for the first time ever, he meets a woman and he actually sees something like of, of their future together. And if it's enticing and exciting, but he's never fallen in love before because he can always see how it doesn't work out. Wounded from the loss of his mother. So love is, you know, is a, is a touchy subject for him and he doesn't want to go to those vulnerable zones. So he's presented with that for the first time. But at the same time, he says yes to uh, essentially a diamond kind of heist that he knows morally he should not. Because he's trying to get out of this and, and be a better person. But but he says yes because he's desperate. And sure enough, sets in motion a series of, of visions that he has because he sees the diamond deal going well. But another piece is introduced where he sees a fragment of a gun firing and a bullet you know, sort of shooting through the air and he sees his own murder. And so we are basically, um, we follow James 
as he goes on the run with Angela, uh, the woman he meets, trying to avoid the fate that he knows 100% will come true. And so the film is really about fate and free will and the choices that we have sort of when facing insurmountable odds. And, you know, do we have the strength and the courage to push through those um, seemingly concrete walls in our lives? And for James, it's literally his death. Can he get, can he avoid that? And so that's the puzzle that we get to follow and solve through the film. Well, very, very interesting way of uh, the layers that you have there in, in this movie and the way that you have put it together because it's you know it starts out the you think it's going to be one thing and then it's not that you know so it doesn't really fit into any real particular genre i mean it, you you um and so this is a time-bending sci-fi thriller a little different than uh usual yeah. things that we see so very so where did the idea come from i mean was it something i mean you both wrote it together um so where did the uh, the germination of uh this script come about was it something that triggered it yeah yeah and um, this is this is tony again speaking you know the, the joke is and i laugh about it but they say write what you know of course as, as writers and so i was actually as a teenager always late like i was tardy to everything and so by the time i got to film school which is where i always wanted to be you know i was a different person and i wrote a short film about a, a scientist who develops a drug that allows him to be early all the time because that's sort of what i need in my life <laughs> to be early <laughs> but um but what the short film explored was that he wasn't like physically early but he was like perceptually early so what he was having was he was having these same things that our protagonist has these little snippets of a future um, but he was trapped by it and anyway it was a short film it didn't have any of the characters that Felician has or or the themes that Ryan and I you know started to, to dance around with um, or the structure it, it was a completely different short film so I couldn't crack it it felt very surface to me on a level and so I put it away and I worked on some some other content for a while and then actually a couple of a couple of years later, I was feeling feeling a bit um, stuck in my film career. I had made some things, but I couldn't get really what I wanted to get off, you know, off the ground. And it was that moment that I realized that actually my my perception of my future was actually causing a self fulfilling prophecy. I was literally mm-hmm. kind of giving into my own apathy about my fears, and I just realized that wow, that's the missing character piece to that old story I wrote. And so I got pretty excited about it, and I told Ryan about it, and he got excited about it. And and then I went off and I wrote a very quick draft just so I could kind of get everything down on paper. And from then on, Ryan and I basically just took it over. And he had always been pitching me as he had heard the idea. He had always been pitching me on a way to turn the, like, use clairvoyance almost against itself and by using the structure to turn on in itself in a way. And it's complex unless you've seen the film, but... That's when Ryan came on board, basically, and we started to go gray and lose our hair, and we're still recovering from the writing process. (laughs) (laughs) That was going to be my next question. Ryan, what was it like writing this with your brother? (laughs) Oh, I mean... Have you written other things together? Yeah, Tony and I have collaborated from a very young age, you know, as kids, making, making little short films and stuff. But then also, as we got older... You know, we both just really took a shine to the the world of really started in theater and performance and then eventually morphed into uh, writing and, and filmmaking. Um, but, you know, as adults, we, we've we collaborated on a number of scripts. Um, and this is our first sort of real feature getting out there. But we've, we've also both carved out our own independent kind of careers in the film and TV mm-hmm. industry. So uh, it's been interesting to 
you know, both build skills in different areas and then come together now as fully formed, you know, creators and really challenge each other and push each other. And, um, as brothers, uh, <laughs> you can imagine that is, uh, unique and challenging, but for, for us, it's actually always been really positive. Um, we just have a, a way of, uh, we, you know, we respect each other's voice and, you know, we always want to hear what the other person is thinking because there's always something, you know, there's generally something really strong. And sometimes it takes a while for us to, um, click onto one another's ideas. But as soon as we do, we're able to push it forward to that next level. And with Volition, you know, when people see the film, it, it really is a puzzle. It's one of those mind bending, twisty stories. And so when Tony and I started collaborating on it, we, we really, the gray hairs are real because we, <laughs> we started having to create these mind maps on, on our walls and, you know, visually drawing out, like, how, how does this story take shape? Because it's not a linear story in the way that most films are. And so, right. um, yeah, well-earned creases on our face. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you two, how, for, for you, working together and writing, who does what? Does somebody, uh, you know, you are you both writing the dialogue? Are you, you know, who, who do you, how do you split up the writing responsibilities? Um, I'll jump in here, Ryan. You can follow up here. But I mean, basically, we start off with sitting in a room together for as long as it takes to break the story. So that's where we, you know, create an outline or a beat sheet that is the fully fleshed story. It doesn't have dialogue, but it has all the, the plot points. And then what we do is, you know, it's pretty unique, but we basically split the outline right down the middle. And then we arbitrarily will just say, okay, Ryan, you go off and write the first half. I'll go off and write the second half. And on different scripts, you know, we've taking turns writing first and second halves. But then basically we go off and we write our, our halves based upon our outlines. And the incredible part of, I think this process is that, you know, there's the, 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 the person who outlined the script is seeing it from this um, bird's eye view. But once you're into the characters and writing from a character standpoint, very often small little changes happen because the characters, hopefully if you've built them correctly and their environment and the themes, they actually start to come alive and so often Ryan and I will find that we've, we've uh, deviated a little bit from the original outline, but we still managed to sort of swim to those major plot turns. And then once we have finished our halves, we actually swap. He'll read my half. I'll read uh-huh. his half. And we don't give each other notes as far as now you go off and, you know, tweak what you did. We actually rewrite each other's halves. Mm. And I think, I think because we have, we both have a theater background an acting background. We, and we love you know, people and we're people watchers. We have similar writing voices as far as character. So the blend is, it's really fun to us. And we, we, you know, we love the Beatles and we always joke that sometimes we'll take turns being the, the John and Paul, the salty and the sweet. So <laughs> um, that's how we do it. Yeah. Wow. Anything to add, Ryan? Uh, no, I mean, I just thought it is, it sounds like a, you know, a crazy, um, method but it really works for us because you know by the time you pass the script back and forth um you know dozens of times it becomes this very cohesive piece um where we've we've ironed out all the rough spots and it's had two brains on one story and that's you know it, it for this film in particular it really helps to have the two of us attacking it from from all sides i think as well right you know something that's we've stumbled upon is that 
different when we're writing something a little bit lighter or more comedic where we could actually sit in the room together and like hammer out dialogue with a banter back and forth. But when we write these emotional scenes, it's difficult to essentially be sitting on each other's laps, um, crying together. And we'll do that anyways, brothers. But um, <laughs> it's, it's sometimes easier for us to just go into our own little worlds and come back. Um, so that's a process. Great process. I always love hearing about people's processes. I think it's always fascinating to see how people work. So who? So how did it come that you became the director, Tony? Rather than Ryan. <laughs> um, probably, I think, uh, probably because I was born first and I was the older boss of your brother. And, uh, I was going to ask you, how, how many years between yeah. the two of you? Well, Ryan likes to say five. I like to say four and a half. Um, okay. So, you know, keep keeping a little closer to really where I am. But no, you know, as a kid, I loved, I loved movies. And uh, as, as siblings, we just made so many short films together. And so I was just, you know, as the older brother took a liking to technology and cameras for various reasons. And Ryan and I just collaborated, whether it was him acting or, or, or him writing something with me. And Ryan is a great director in his own right. And we're so excited to actually be working on our next project together as co-directors. So I think for this film in particular, we kind of had to divide and conquer a little bit because it was so challenging. And um, yeah. And also I think for me, I was trying to get the film off the ground a little bit earlier too. And, uh, I was always just attached as the director from an early age, I suppose. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think it is also just sort of the natural way that we just developed. You know, um, Tony's yeah. Tony's been pursuing the directing path a lot more than I have, and I've really been focused on the writing path. Um, but you know, Tony's been sort of writing, directing, and so yeah. I mean, but for the future, we we do plan to collaborate uh, on the directing side as well. Um, yeah. So, and and for for Volition, like what Tony's saying in terms of, you know, we have to divide and conquer, you know, it's definitely an independent film and we have to put on our producing hat to really pull us off. And so I took on the majority of the producing role and tried to shield Tony so that he could, you know, really tackle the directing. That's a great working relationship. That's wonderful. I was going to ask you what your next project is. And since you've just sort of alluded to it, what what is your next project? What are you working on? Well, well, are you um, you at liberty to talk about it or not? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's, 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 yeah. there's a couple, but yeah, Tom, why don't you go and talk about um one? Sure, I'll mention the one, and you can mention the... We have a few, but what's so fun about the two of us is that, again, the having a partnership, we're both just fans of movies, so it's fun to, to pitch Ryan mm-hmm. something and have Ryan pitch something to me. Um, so something that we're very excited about, um, again, a number of projects, but our, our grandfather was actually a magician, as was our father. So we grew up, again, in this very sort of creative smoke and mirrors uh, household. And uh, towards the end of my grandfather's life, um, he actually suffered from dementia. And he, you know, he, he struggled with what, what reality was and what it wasn't. And so we've developed a story around that, sort of around um, a bit of psychosis uh, and illusion and, and how the blend of those two worlds um, can happen. And ultimately, it's a story of hope and redemption and of healing through, um, you know, the story of what, what that grandfather goes through. Um, um, related to Volition, because it's all dealing yes, with sort of cerebral good. aspects. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's an offshoot, but it's also something that's very personal to us, because we, we lived it with our grandfather. Yeah. Right. It sounds it sounds like a lovely story, something very interesting to uh, look forward to seeing. When it came to the casting of this film, because that's always, you know, such a, a obviously, the most, well, there's many aspects to a film that are very important, but if you don't have good actors and actresses, the amount of, you can have a great script, but if the 
you know, if you don't have the actor or actresses, uh, as I said, you really don't have a movie. So tell me about the casting and uh, of the lead character. And, and right now I'm drawing a blank on his mm-hmm. name. So uh, yeah, me. Ad- sure. Adrian Glenn McMorrin. Yeah. Um, do you want to take this ride? Do you want to? Sure. I mean, so, you know, Adrian is actually a lifelong friend of both uh, Tony and I. Um, we, we all went to high school together and we were all very involved in the theater department there. And we've also just always known him to be just this really authentic talent. You know, he's, he's a musician as well. And if, you know, if anyone goes and checks out his music, Adrian Glenn McMorrin, um, you'll see that he's just a true artist. He, he feels deeply and he's wounded in, in the ways that we all get wounded through life. <laughs> um, and he brings that to, to his performance. And so, uh, you know, Tony had actually collaborated with Adrian on, uh, Tony's very first sort of pre-film school feature that he shot very, very cheaply. Um, and so that collaboration was already in place. And there's also a music video that, that Tony shot for Adrian um, uh, called Seven or Eight Days, which is out there. And if you look at that music video of Seven or Eight Days, the character played by Adrian in that video is so reminiscent of, of James in our film. And so he was just a very natural fit. Um, and, uh, you know, we're so glad that it worked out with him because, you know, when people see the film, he really, he just sweats and bleeds and, you know, lives on that screen. And uh, yeah, very proud to have him there. Yes, he does. He's, you know, he's very, very good in this role. Very good. He looks familiar to me too. So I'm wondering if I've seen him mm-hmm. something else. But yeah, I, he's very, very good. As, as well as the other uh, cast members, you've had a, you have an interesting cast yeah. there. What was Tony? What was it like? Because you have these scenes where he's having, you know, where he he has these visions. Tell me about the filming of those. You know, how did you go about mm-hmm. doing that? Because they're they're very interesting the way that you did them. So uh, tell us a bit about that process. Sure. Thanks. Yeah. You know, when trying to, I guess, physically show on screen how clairvoyance works, we start to become aware of, you know, well, first of all, maybe it's not just visual, maybe it's audio too, you know, so we start to bring in, it's really, really complex and intricate sound design into what James hears and, and these little tells that you can feel the clairvoyance moment coming with almost like this low um, tone that he feels in his head. And then the actual visual of it, you know, we basically wanted to show what the mind's eye might see. And Ryan and I had many conversations about the rules of what James sees. And so we knew first and foremost, he only sees what what's in front of him and, and his trajectory. But we also discussed the idea of, and it's we, we saw it written in a number of sort of publications that we were reading, the idea of sort of an out-of-body-esque experience when you face trauma. That sometimes in a car accident, you can almost, it almost feels like time slows down and you see it from like a holographic perspective in a way. Mm-hmm. So... So we thought about that, you know, could we just, could we not just show what James literally sees through his eyes, but is there something that relates to the layers of the film, actually, that we could show, um, you know, the, the little pieces of the vision in different ways. So, I mean, we went through so many iterations of it, in truth, in, in the edit. And I think we, I hope we landed on something that is, um, I think, organic. We didn't want it to feel, again, we didn't want it to feel sci-fi. We wanted it to feel like um, this wounded character and his psychology and um, that the science fiction was almost just like a character trait. So mm-hmm. that was sort of how we went about designing the divisions. Very fascinating. that interesting question? No. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Very interesting in, in, in the way that you did that. Where, was, where did you film? this movie uh, Tony uh, yeah we filmed it go for it right yeah. 
Yeah, uh, so we, we, you know, we're based out of Vancouver, and I mean, we're born in South Africa, but currently based in Vancouver, which we've been living, you know, we've been living here for a while. And um, so we shot it all in Vancouver, and that was amazing for us because we are, you know, working members of the Vancouver film industry, so we we just have a lot of great relationships here, and it was incredible to have the support from, you know, even from the cast level of, you know, people like Alex Ponovic who. You know, some people may know out there from he's in Snowpiercer and Van Helsing and, uh, you know, those sorts of performers and crew members uh, read the script and were excited about something that was original in Vancouver, because in Vancouver, we do a lot of service work that's based out of L.A. Uh, and here was a, a film that was really just homegrown. And so uh, we have the support of this amazing community up here. How lovely. That's lovely. What was the most difficult or challenging thing about making this movie, uh, Tony? Um, I think I'm still going through it, but <laughs> it's, it's such an incredible you know, if you've seen the film, it feels like, you know, James goes on this sort of uh, the Sisyphus journey of him climbing up this mm-hmm. hill, just pushing this rock up, and he has to go all the way mm-hmm. to the bottom and do it again. So I think just the script, first of all, was incredibly difficult. And we wanted to make sure that that was really an enjoyable read. So, you know, we slaved over that for a long time, probably too long. And, um, and then I guess the sort of the opposite end of the script, I think the edit was really difficult. Um, I think what I'm seeing here is everything was difficult because <laughs> even, our, even our, our shoot itself, you know, we had 18 days and we knew that wow. our 112 page script was not actually 112 pages because of the, the layering of some of those scenes. And so we probably need to double the schedule. And um, I think the shoot was probably, you know, the most concentrated difficult period of time because you are literally laying train tracks like a meter or before the train actually arrives, you know, on the track. And um, we just have to keep motoring. And it's really a testament to everybody that we survived uh, and thrived with these 12 to 17-hour days. And, you know, we just... we. The, we cast hired people based on their essence and like who they were and and the joy they would, would bring to the project because we knew it would be difficult. And so there was nothing but smiles actually on our very, very challenging shoot, which was actually the most rewarding thing I can say about everything in some ways. Well, that's wonderful. That's great to have a, a, a great crew that you're all enjoying each other when you're filming because that's so important because it's like a family when you're all working together so closely. Brian, yeah. uh, where can people see this movie? What was what were the plans before the pandemic hit initially? For uh-huh. film? Yeah, it's such a interesting time we're going through right now um and so yeah. yeah we did you know giant pictures is is releasing the film um and there was a plan for uh limited theatrical um you know we're going up against tom hanks film uh this friday uh so we jokingly say you know save us from tom hanks uh because he's like the <laughs> nicest guy in the world that we don't want to battle but we're battling with <laughs> um, yes <laughs> But uh, so we did have a limited theatrical all planned, but we at the last minute have decided not to do that because, you know, it's not safe. And so right now it's available on uh, for pre-order on Apple TV right now. And then starting Friday, it'll be available pretty much on every digital platform out there. So Apple TV, Amazon Prime, uh, Xbox, Google Play, Microsoft, really um, everywhere. 
So just search for Volition and you should be able to find it. Wonderful. Well, thank you both being uh, for being on the show. And I wish you much success with your film Volition. And everyone seek it out. It's it's very unique and different. And uh, you'll definitely, it, it takes you on a ride and you'll enjoy the ride. So thank you both so much, Ryan and Tony, for being on the show. Thanks, Jan. We love what you do. So thanks for the support as well. We appreciate it. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I really do. Yeah. You can listen to The Jam Price Show whenever, wherever, at thejampriceshow.com. And you can listen to it on the iHeart Podcast Network, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play. And go to The Jam Price Show on Facebook and like it. And you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at The Jam Price Show. Thank you all for listening. On Power Talk AM 1460 and FM 101.1, streaming worldwide on iHeartRadio. Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show.